0: You have goals. Reach them fast with IU Online's Accelerated Degree Programs. Our six- and eight-week courses are taught 100% online and can fit any schedule. Advance your career with a bachelor's in informatics. It only takes 10 minutes to apply. Earn an Indiana University degree that's valued around the world. Get started today at IU Online. new season out on Spotify
1: soon. 11-year-old Kate Fox bolted awake in bed, unsure of what had stirred her. She
0: peered around the dark cabin, the winter wind howling outside. She lit the candle next to her bedside and waited to see if anything stirred in the darkness. She jumped at the thud and pulled the covers over her head, hoping whatever had made the noise would go away. As it continued, the candle next to her bed flickered out. Kate could feel a presence standing next to her bed, but she was too scared to look. Finally, the spirit seemed to leave her bedside, but it was far from gone. In the coming months, the presence would only grow stronger. More entities
1: would fill the cabin, communicating with Kate and her sister Maggie. By the
0: end of that winter in 1848, the Fox sisters would learn to speak with the dead. Little did they know that from their tiny cabin
1: in upstate New York, they would spark a movement that would revitalize the occult in the Western world, rekindle interest in an ideology that gave rise to the Nazi party, and convince the Third Reich they could speak with alien civilizations. Are we alone? Have we been alone? Will we be alone? Stories of alien visitation have been ingrained in human history. Alien life may not be confirmed, but our obsession with it can't be ignored. Welcome to Extraterrestrial, a PARCAST original. I'm Bill. And I'm Tim. Every Tuesday, we visit the marvelous and strange stories about our encounters
0: with beings from another world. We're aware that some of these tales may seem completely unbelievable. Others may seem all too real. But these stories shed light on human nature, human beliefs, and human psychology. And each story has garnered hundreds, if not millions, of true believers. And for that reason, we think they're worth exploring. Today, we continue our exploration of the Vril Society, a subgroup of the Tula Society, an alleged Nazi secret society that formed just after World War I. They believed an alien race was providing them with advanced technology that would allow them to travel to space. Last week, we followed Maria
1: Orsic, the female medium who allegedly first made contact with otherworldly visitors as she involved herself deep within the budding Nazi party.
0: But we also followed the key players who formed the Tula Society, the secret organization that absorbed Maria Orsic and her cohorts into their ranks. This week, we'll explore the likelihood that the claims made by the
1: Vril Society were real and whether Maria was ever even a part of the SS.
0: At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help
1: is to leave a 5-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com/merch for more information.
0: It was a dark and stormy night. These are probably the most famous words ever penned by author Edward Bulwer-Lytton, a Victorian-era author who grew to some renown in the 1870s. While he's rarely remembered for his sci-fi novel, The Power of the Coming Race, it is perhaps one of the most influential pieces of literature ever written. Not because
1: the novel is so thrilling or pervasive, but rather because it convinced a small group of men that they belonged to a master race, destined to rule the earth and exterminate lesser people
0: who had robbed them of the power they believed was their birthright. As we discussed last week, the Nazi party was fueled by their twisted interpretation of this book, using it to justify their interest in the occult and the systematic holocaust of the Jewish people. This genocide also included smaller ethnic groups like the Roma population and anyone the Nazis considered mentally ill or physically disabled. This week, we'll dive into the
1: outlandish claims made by those who carry on the lore of the Tula Society and its insular group of psychics, the Vril Society. According to legend, the Vril Society made contact with aliens who ushered them away to the
0: planet Aldebaran at the end of the Second World War. They are due to return to Earth in 2022 to take their rightful place as heads of the human race. But while we're waiting for their return, we'll delve into the mysterious legend they left behind and try to ascertain what of their legacy is based in fact, and what is as false as the science fiction book it all started from? Last week, we discussed Maria Orsich, a
1: young medium who was rumored to have accurately predicted the rise of Adolf Hitler. Believers have suggested that she also channeled the plans for ancient alien technology that helped the Nazis build a rocket ship
0: that would take them to outer space. If true, it would prove the existence of not only aliens, but the birthright of a master race. Maria claimed that alien visitors first approached her while she was in a coma-like trance after falling deathly ill as a teenager. It's impossible to say
1: whether Maria invented this story outright, but it appears as though she truly believed that she communicated with alien beings. Although many psychics and mediums have claimed these things over the years, which asks the question, is there a
0: more rational explanation for Maria's visions? Maria's obsession with the non-physical world might have started a half-century before, in 1847, in a small log cabin just outside Hydesville, New York. There, two sisters, 11-year-old Kate Fox and 14-year-old Maggie Fox, began contacting the dead.
1: That winter, the two young girls were repeatedly visited by a spirit who would knock on the cabin walls for hours on end. By the spring of 1848, the spirit's knocks were growing so violent that the walls
0: of their tiny cabin shook from the force of them. It was the girl's mother who eventually realized that the spirit was likely trying to communicate with her daughters and devised a way of speaking with it. They worked out a series of taps that the spirit could use to answer questions. Mrs. Fox
1: spawned an ingenious idea. The girls could travel from town to town communing with the dead, for a small fee, of course. And so they began touring
0: their act, which gained popularity in no time. Their act grew so popular that they were eventually invited to tour Europe, they were among the most famous acts of their day and spawned a modern spiritualism movement that swept through America and Europe with fervor. By 1895, when
1: Maria Orsich was born, spiritualism was commonplace throughout Europe. Mediums and occultists were a dime a dozen. Tarot card readers could be found in
0: every major city in the Western world. Also by 1895, almost every famous medium that had been part of the beginning of the spiritualism movement had been outed as a fraud. Kate and Maggie Fox admitted in 1888 that their ghost tappings were a hoax. They produced the sounds by popping their joints beneath their dresses. They and others like them were con men, preying on the vulnerable to make a quick buck. In fact, Famed magician Harry Houdini dedicated a large portion of his life to outing these tricksters. But that didn't stop Americans and Europeans from crowding into
1: theaters to watch mediums perform seances well into the 20th century, despite overwhelming proof that the grand majority of mediums were frauds,
0: or at best, simply guessing. If this seems far-fetched, consider the fact that today, the psychic industry still brings in around $2 billion annually. If audiences in 2019 can fall prey to mediums, it's easy to see how, in the early 1900s, a teenaged Maria Orsic might have been equally fascinated. What might have drawn
1: Maria Orsic to the occult and paranormal as a teenager is concisely explained by author Steve Russo, who writes, Young people are looking for power and the occult is a belief that promises supernatural power over
0: their environment. The occult might have been especially appealing at the turn of the last century when women were considerably disadvantaged and had very rigid roles in society. The idea of harnessing supernatural power over one's environment might have been very appealing to a young woman like Maria who didn't see herself in a traditional female role. But unlike the Fox sisters and
1: many of the mediums debunked by Houdini, Maria didn't claim to talk to spirits who had passed on to the next life. She claims that she spoke to
0: aliens. But this too might be explained by pop culture. As early as 1826, scientists have tried to communicate with aliens. And it's no wonder. The idea of life on other planets has been debated since the time of ancient Greece. German mathematician and
1: inventor Carl Friedrich Gauss was among the first modern scientists to make a formal attempt at otherworldly communication. He proposed cutting a large triangle into the Siberian forest and planting wheat in the tracts. He asserted that the color contrast would be visible from space and alert
0: other planets to our presence. In the early mid-1800s, Astronomer Joseph von Littro suggested pouring kerosene into a wide circular canal, then setting it ablaze at night. He believed that passing aliens would see the Ring of Fire and be enticed to visit. But it was the
1: invention of the radio in 1895 that sparked the idea of channeling
0: aliens instead of flagging them down as they passed by Earth. Indeed, a few years later in 1901, Nikola Tesla reported a strange signal coming through his radio tower in Colorado Springs. He theorized that the message had come from Mars. When Maria
1: experienced something she couldn't explain after falling into a trance, it's likely that the idea of communicating with aliens through radio waves, combined with the idea of communicating with spirits while in a trance, both, now present in popular culture, might have influenced the way she rationalized her experience.
0: Multiple studies show that teenagers are most influenced by popular culture than any other group, and in the early 1900s, modern spiritualism had grown into a religious movement based in pseudoscience. It provided comfort to those who believed in the ability to speak with their loved ones, and for an impressionable teen like Maria— could have provided an explanation for her first trance. She fell into the coma-like state at age 17
1: while suffering a prolonged illness. She claims that while in this state, she saw alien beings that appeared to her like beams of light and spoke to her,
0: promising to return to give her a secret mission. This visitation combines everything we've discussed up until now The sense that a teenage girl with limited options might have been drawn to the idea that she was special and that alien life forms were singling her out. She was fueled on by the spiritualism and general UFO enthusiasm of the time. And soon, she would be driven even further into self-delusion by a medical phenomenon that science has only begun to understand. Maria could have very likely had an out-of-body, near-death experience. Her parents, who witnessed the trance, described it as a coma-like state, and for a few minutes, she appeared to have died. In fact, her parents might have been more accurate than they
1: realized. According to Australian neurologist Dr. Cameron Shaw, experiencing
0: visions while in a coma is not at all unusual. Visions during near-death experiences take place over the course of about 30 seconds, while the brain is actually dying. Within the first 10 seconds or so, a person's individuality, sense of humor, and sense of self will go. But because the brain is still active, it will begin to create an imaginary world that can be perceived, if not fully understood. This explains why many patients who cross over often have trouble describing what exactly they experienced. Their brains quite literally cannot understand the world that surrounded them. Many patients who return from the other side describe a warm,
1: comforting feeling and an encounter with a superior being that provided
0: a spiritual experience. These recorded experiences bear a striking similarity to the experience Maria described post-trance. Except Maria's superior being was a beam of light she instantly knew to be an ancient alien, as opposed to a more traditional deity. But even this is explainable. Because Maria was likely
1: heavily influenced by the pseudoscience of her day and would have known about alien communication, trances, and other hallmarks of the spiritualism movement, It makes sense that she would have attributed her encounter to aliens as opposed
0: to a christian god and she wasn't alone as interest in aliens grew maria found she was one of a growing number of people who believed that otherworldly contact was not only possible it was her birthright it was only a matter of time before men like adolf hitler
1: and heinrich himmler combined her belief system with their own philosophy of German superiority. But in their pursuit of this ideal, did the Nazis truly encounter alien life?
0: Next, we'll examine the later Vril Society alien encounters. Now back to the story. According to extraterrestrial believers, Maria Orsich began contacting aliens in 1912 when she was 17. Around the same time, others were beginning to believe that contacting ancient aliens was not only possible, but inevitable. In August 1909, a young man
1: walked into the office of Jorg Lanz von Liebenfels, the most famous occultist in Vienna. The pale, awkward, but polite young man introduced himself to von Liebenfels and asked to order back issues of von Liebenfels'
0: self-published magazine, Oostera. Oostera was an occultist periodical that propagated the idea that a lost Aryan civilization would return to Earth either by rising up from the shadows or by some other means and take their rightful place as the master race. Apparently,
1: von Liebenfels took a liking to the awkward 20-year-old and ordered the back issues for him free of charge. Time would reveal the young visitor to be Adolf Hitler.
0: It's no secret that Hitler was obsessed with the occult, but did he actually help form the Tula Society and bring Maria Orsich into his fold? First of all, there is no
1: verifiable proof that the Tula Society, the secret group of Nazi leaders obsessed with the occult or the Vril Society, Maria's secret network of Tula Society mediums who communicated with aliens, ever existed. So we cannot, beyond a shadow of a doubt, confirm or disprove
0: its existence. However, history has revealed a few interesting clues that nod to the idea that the Vril Society and Tula Societies were, in fact, real. In 1935,
1: a German rocket scientist named Willy Ley immigrated to the United States in order to flee Nazi Germany. In addition to being a respected scientific mind, he was also a prolific author of both science fiction
0: and science nonfiction. In a nonfiction essay written in 1937, Ley explained the vital role pseudoscience played in paving the way for the Nazi rise to power. He cites a secret society called the Wahrheitsgesellschaft, or the Society for Truth, that was formed with the intention of tapping into a magical force called Vril. Their goal,
1: according to Ley, was to build a perpetual motion machine, which was described with resounding similarities to the UFO that Maria Orsich supposedly
0: helped to build. The Society for Truth could be another name for the Tula Society, At the time, the existence of the Tula Society was only known from rumors. It would be years before any documentation would emerge giving credence to said rumors. Given that, it makes sense that the Tula
1: Society could have been known by a few different names, including the Society for Truth. What's most important is that the mission of the Society for Truth, as described by Lay is nearly identical to the mission of the Tula Society, as it has come to be known through rumors, writings from believers, and the
0: occasional recovered document over the years. Lay's writing isn't the only piece of nonfiction that hints at the existence of the Tula and Vril Societies. In 1960, a nonfiction book
1: entitled *Morning of the Magicians lent similar credence to the existence of the Vril Society. This book actually claims that the Vril Society was the precursor to the Tula Society, instead of the two having been formed independently,
0: but it acknowledges the existence of both groups nevertheless. The book discusses the rumor that at the end of World War II, the Vril Society jumped in their flying saucer and flew to one of the Nazi Party's secret underground lairs in Antarctica. The book also claims that, according to legend, the Nazis landed on the moon in 1942, where they built a secret bunker that still exists to this day. It's a lot to unpack. And Morning of the Magician's authors, Louis Powell's and Jacques Berger, are quick to point out that absolutely zero evidence exists to support either of these outlandish claims, but wanted to share them with their readers as a point of folkloric interest. Their purpose in writing the book was to discuss
1: every absurd rumor about Nazi undertakings during the Second World War, whether evidence supported them or not. But of course, their disclaimer did little to deter those who wanted to believe in the darkest, most outlandish of these rumors.
0: Probably the most unlikely of these conspiracy theories was born from a quote by Nazi Admiral Karl Dunitz during the Nuremberg trials, wherein he bragged about An invulnerable fortress, a paradise-like oasis in the middle of eternal ice. This led many to believe that Hitler built an underground Nazi lair beneath the thick sheets of ice in Antarctica and may have escaped there after the war. Did
1: this secret base exist? And if so, did it house alien technology? According to science and technology writer Eric Niller, there is at least a hint of truth to the rumors about Hitler's obsession with Antarctica. In 1939, he did, in fact, organize a secret mission to the southernmost continent, although he had no intention of building a Nazi fortress.
0: Instead, he was on the hunt for margarine, as in substitute butter. In 1939, the German
1: population used large amounts of oil and fat-based products, including butter, milk, lard, cream, bacon, salad oils, detergent,
0: cheese, linoleum, candles, and paint. Hitler knew that in the coming war, many of these supplies would get cut off and wanted to be able to supply his people with alternate forms of fat, in particular, whale oil.
1: So, he sent a whaling boat to Antarctica, and was somewhat disappointed
0: when the team returned empty-handed. However, no Antarctic Nazi fortress was ever built during World War II, and the rumor was further debunked in a peer-reviewed study by marine geologist Dr. Colin Summerhayes.
1: Summerhayes scoured Nazi records and wrote his findings. There is, quote, no mention in any of the German documents of any intention to establish a base during the expedition of 1938 to 1939, nor
0: that any attempt was made to do so at that time or afterwards. Summerhayes went on to show that not one shred of proof exists to back up the idea that Hitler sent the necessary equipment down to Antarctica to build a fortress in the Antarctic Mountains or under the ice which means there was no alien base or extraterrestrial technology hidden under the ice caps.
1: While it seems as though Nazis never carved out an evil alien lair in Antarctica, rumors persist that they did build a fortress on the moon. This, of course, only adds fuel to the alien contactee fire.
0: That might seem like the most easily dismissed part of our story, but actually it's not that cut and dried. The vast majority of people credit
1: the United States with having been the first country to step foot on the moon. But what many people don't know is that the technology that allowed us to walk on the moon's face in 1969 was actually based off of Nazi technology developed almost 35 years prior. Even during the Second World War, It was common knowledge that Germany had an advanced rocket science program and was developing technology that would change the face of modern warfare.
0: In fact, the V-2 rocket, first successfully launched in 1942, was the first rocket able to reach space. The technology used on its missile was the basis for both the U.S. and Soviet Union to get to the moon decades later. But while there was never any proof
1: that the V-2 rocket made it to space during World War II, possible evidence for a Nazi moon landing may have been recovered decades later.
0: Luna-24 was a robotic probe that the USSR sent to the moon in 1976 to collect dirt samples. It only brought back seven-tenths of a pound of moon dirt dust from a previously untouched part of the moon called the Sea of Crises. But the moon
1: dust the USSR recovered was odd. Because this part of the moon was untouched, the dust should have laid undisturbed for billions of years. And yet, test results showed that the dirt the Luna 24 had recovered
0: was brought to the surface of the moon somewhat recently. Something or someone had dug up the dirt that had previously resided deep underground. Americans had not been to that side of the moon, which left the question, did someone land on the moon prior to the United States?
1: Lunar scientist Peter Schultz believes it's completely possible that a Nazi rocket could have made it to the Sea of Crises. But just because it was relatively
0: possible, he concedes, doesn't make it fact. If the Nazis, who believed they were superior to all other people, really had reached the moon, wouldn't they have documented it and used it as part of their twisted Third Reich propaganda? Hmm.
1: We'll never know for sure whether the Nazis disturbed the dust on the surface of the moon,
0: but it makes for a fun story. And while we're dispelling stories propagated by the Tula Society, we should take a moment to address the central idea of Vril lore that the Earth is hollow and its core is inhabited by ancient aliens. Every bit of scientific evidence suggests this is untrue. Professor Simon Redfern with
1: the University of Cambridge in the UK explains that by studying the Earth's gravitational pull on the other objects, we can determine that our planet weighs in at a handsome
0: 5.9 sextillion tons. That's the number 59 followed by 20 zeros, A number truly unfathomable to the human imagination there is nothing large enough on earth's surface to account for that weight which means the earth carries the bulk of its weight at its core some believers still might claim that the extra weight is that of an alien civilization and granted humans have never penetrated the earth's crust but using
1: seismology scientists have been able to discern what the inner and outer core of the earth
0: looks like In the early days of seismology in the 1960s, the country of Chile experienced a massive earthquake that generated a ton of seismic data.
1: Redfern explains that when an earthquake happens, it sends shockwaves throughout the planet. Seismologists record these vibrations. It's as if we hit one side of the planet with a gigantic hammer
0: and listened on the other side for the noise. But starting with the Chilean earthquake in the 1960s, seismologists began to notice that while some of the S waves or sound waves were reaching their expected destination, others were disappearing. They should have traveled through the Earth's core and manifested on the other side, but that wasn't happening. It was a head-scratcher.
1: Over the next 10 years, in tandem with other research conducted as early as 1930, Seismologists began to understand what was happening to the S-waves. Depending on their path of travel, they were encountering a liquid that they were unable to
0: pass through. Yet other waves, called P-waves, still reverberated on the other side of the Earth at certain angles, which meant they were bouncing off something solid. Together, this information allowed seismologists to conclude that the Earth had a hard inner core surrounded by a molten outer core encased by the Earth's rocky crust. Based on the weight of Earth,
1: Redfern believes 80% of the Earth's inner and outer core are made from iron, as it's one of the most common elements in the universe and weighs significantly more when under extreme pressure, for instance, at the
0: center of a massive planet. All this to say, this tightly compressed mostly iron core leaves very little room for aliens So, the likelihood that the Earth's core is hollow and harboring an entire civilization is slim. But the center of the Earth wasn't the only
1: place Nazis went looking for their Aryan ancestors. Beginning in the 1930s, Hitler began sending expeditions to Tibet to look for ancient
0: Atlanteans. According to a legend unearthed by Dietrich Eckhart, Long ago, an ancient Aryan civilization called Atlantis was washed away by a great flood. The high Aryan priests, however, escaped on a boat and made it to the only piece of land that wasn't submerged underwater. The highest country in the world, Tibet, Nazi explorers traveled to Tibet over the course of about 10 years, subjecting the citizens of Tibet to full-body inspections, searching for physical features that were believed to be inherently Aryan— angular facial features, long limbs, and narrow, more petite faces. The body scans were
1: nothing short of harassment, but that didn't give the Nazi explorers pause. They believed that the people of Tibet may be related to their ancient superior
0: ancestors and could help them harness the power of Vril. After the war, Allied forces found a paper trail and film footage that proved these expeditions were real and that finding the origins of the Aryan race was the official goal. Now, the only reason Hitler would have believed in the connection between Tibet and the Aryan race would have been the Vril legend championed by the Tula Society. Given the fact that the missions to Tibet were real, it seems extremely plausible that the Tula Society existed in at least some form to inspire them. But just because the Tula Society was real
1: doesn't mean that the stories of the Vril Society are based in reality. In fact, some evidence suggests that even if the Vril and Tula Societies did exist, Maria Orsic was never a part of them at all.
0: In a moment, Maria's involvement in the extraterrestrial society is put under the microscope. Now back to the story. It is widely believed by conspiracy theorists and alien enthusiasts that Maria Orsic was the leader of a small band of psychic mediums, the Vril Society, who communicated with ancient aliens who once inhabited Earth as the Aryan race. They purportedly joined the Tula Society in 1922, which was run by Nazis Heinrich Himmler and Dietrich Eckart. However, closer examination shows that while the Tula Society,
1: which likely existed, worked with mediums, Maria Orsic might never
0: have been a medium within the Vril or Tula Society at all. According to the Writings of Believers, Maria Orsic's Vril Society was notoriously pure. It was made up of a small group of women who were celibate, wore their hair in long ponytails, and sequestered themselves away from the rest of the Tula Society, where they could channel the Aldebaran aliens in peace. But this picture of chastity seems to clash with the Tula Society as run by Heinrich Himmler. At some point in the 1930s, Heinrich Himmler bought an old German castle in Bavaria and renovated it. Many believe it also became the headquarters for the Tula Society based on Tula-centric floor mosaics and other iconography discovered throughout the castle after the war. As we discussed last week, it's believed that he used the castle for meetings,
1: ceremonies, and experiments on prisoners of war in an attempt to tap
0: into a powerful substance called Vril. Himmler believed that sex was a powerful tool in unlocking Vril and the mediums he was rumored to work with would sleep with SS officers and prisoners of war alike in the hopes of unlocking Vril through a variety of orgy-like ceremonies and sexual experiments. This is in direct conflict with the pure, untouched Vril
1: society that Maria supposedly led
0: perhaps most damning to the Vril Society legend is the fact that it didn't appear in print until 1992 in a book called The Vril Project.
1: The book, which outlines the Vril Society as it was rumored to have existed during World War II, contains the only known photograph of Maria
0: Orsich. The photograph in the book features Maria wearing an SS uniform, looking whimsically at the camera, but further investigation debunks this photograph as a fraud. In actuality, a beautiful blonde woman's face has
1: been superimposed over the face of another unnamed woman wearing an SS uniform. Later, the photo was passed off as authentic and said
0: to be Maria Orsich. As we've said, birth records prove that she was a real person and she was likely a medium in Munich and an active member of the German nationalist movement. But prior to 1992, she was seemingly never heralded as one of Hitler's private, personal mediums. That's not to
1: say she didn't meet Heinrich Himmler or Dietrich Eckhardt at some point. She may have
0: even shared the information she was channeling with the SS. But the extent to which she actually worked for Hitler as part of his mission to find the original Aryan race seems murky at best. She disappears from records after World War
1: II and is said to have escaped in her flying machine to Aldebaran, where she is currently living with a race of aliens who once walked the Earth as Atlanteans.
0: It's a far-fetched story, even for the most devout of alien believers. And, as such, is virtually impossible to prove or disprove. But some mediums claim they still channel Maria Orsic from her new home in the Taurus galaxy. In fact, present-day medium Seth
1: Tiersen has published several books about the conversations he has had with Maria Orsich while channeling her from Aldebaran. However, none of his books predate 1992, when Maria Orsich first appeared in print, which does little to verify that the narrative built around Maria is legitimate.
0: Furthermore, there's nothing to prove that Tiersen is authentically channeling Maria. Regardless of whether you believe this man has truly channeled Maria, her entire story leaves one gaping logic hole.
1: She claims that a race of superior beings contacted her with ancient
0: technology that would secure the power of a new messiah on Earth. As such, she supposedly worked alongside Adolf Hitler and his cohorts, helping to develop the technology that would allow the SS to harness the power of Vril and reclaim rulership of the Earth. And yet, as the horrors
1: of Nazi Germany began to be revealed and the Axis forces began to lose the war,
0: the aliens had a convenient change of heart. They channeled Maria and advised her to run, that Hitler had grown too evil, and the Third Reich had grown too dark for her to continue her work with them in
1: good conscience. So, the aliens arranged for her to be taken to Aldebaran,
0: where she could await a time when it was safe to return to Earth. Yet, according to the same legend, before leaving for Aldebaran, she tried to convince Joseph Goebbels and his family to accompany her. This is problematic for two
1: reasons. First, if these all-knowing aliens really were capable of traveling galaxies, creating wormholes that allowed spaceships to jump through time and space, And had collected almost all knowledge in the known universe,
0: wouldn't they have known that Hitler was a madman to begin with? And if the Aldebarans really did make a mistake in putting their faith in Adolf Hitler and truly did attempt to save Maria and the more innocent members of her society, why would Joseph Goebbels make the cut? Goebbels was the minister of propaganda
1: under Adolf Hitler and is infamous for creating a favorable image of the murderous Nazi party. His propaganda is in part responsible for the murder of over six million Jewish people and countless other soldiers, civilians, and members of marginalized ethnic groups.
0: In no world does it make sense that a race of aliens who are intellectually and morally superior to humans would welcome Joseph Goebbels to their home planet. Given everything
1: we've unearthed in this episode, there is another narrative that makes more sense.
0: In the wake of World War I, Germany was financially ruined, and its downtrodden citizens began looking for an escape, or a scapegoat, depending on their individual level of accountability. For those looking to
1: escape, the growing spiritualism movement provided comfort and some sense of order.
0: Remember, many Germans died during the First World War, leading their family members wanting to contact them in the afterlife. The horrors of World War I were unlike anything any living person had ever experienced. It redefined warfare. Mediums provided a sense of peace
1: to those left by their loved ones. At the same time, a growing interest in pseudoscience also sparked an interest in the occult, and the two growing fads, the occult and science fiction, began to conflate in the early 1900s.
0: Around that time, Maria Orsich, a young, bright-eyed woman with a healthy sense of adventure, grew ill and had a near-death experience, which made her believe that she had spoken with aliens. Meanwhile, as Maria
1: convinced herself of her special gifts, Adolf Hitler and his ranks began to develop the twisted ideology gleaned from the sci-fi novel that sparked the Nazi
0: party, The Coming Race. A few years later, Maria Orsich moved to Munich and became somewhat well-known as a medium around town. And because of Dietrich Eckhart's fascination with ancient Aryans, perhaps he was interested in meeting the young medium who swore she could speak with aliens. From there, it's hard
1: to say whether Maria actually formed the Vril Society and worked closely
0: with the SS. The truth is most likely somewhere in the middle, She and her cohorts probably had a society of mediums throughout the Second World War, and they could have possibly fed information to members of the SS from time to time. But it's doubtful they were the mediums turned sex workers that Himmler housed in his castle. And as for the spacecraft that was supposedly built in Bavaria, it shouldn't come as a surprise that absolutely no evidence exists to support its construction. Instead, the most
1: advanced piece of technology created during the war was likely Wernher von Braun's V-2 rocket, which did, indeed, touch space. It seems unlikely that it put a Nazi on the moon, but it is a marvel, nevertheless.
0: In truth, the Tula Society, their supposed communication with aliens, and Hitler's obsession with the occult all seem to have stemmed from the same place, a deep desire to control circumstances that the Third Reich deemed unfair. Hitler was an angry, weak man who
1: looked to blame everyone else for his problems. His obsession with other worlds and fascination with science fiction were mere extensions of his need for escapism, to believe that something else could be held accountable for his life's failures.
0: He unfairly took out his shortcomings on millions of people and lied to his own followers in the process. Given the sheer volume of materials
1: written about a secret organization within the Third Reich, it seems probable that the Tula Society was real, was actively looking for the Aryan race, enjoyed experimenting with the occult, and was likely serviced by sex workers.
0: When it comes to the Nazi Party M.O., this checks all the boxes. But it seems highly unlikely that Maria Orsich and the Vril Society were as connected to the Tula Society as believers have suggested. Did the Nazis successfully contact aliens? Doubtful. We're going to give this encounter a 0 out of 10 on the believability scale, with 0 being completely unbelievable. It seems implausible that
1: Maria ever channeled alien beings or escaped to outer space. It's far more likely that she was either killed towards the end of the war or moved away from
0: Germany and changed her name, forever disappearing from the history books. Which means that the Vril Aryan aliens were no more real than Atlantis, secret Antarctic bases, or other conspiracy theories connected with the Nazis. Regardless, Any aliens that encountered members of that
1: despicable cabal would probably turn their UFO around and immediately head back where they came from, which, hopefully, is a better world than the one Hitler dreamed up in their name.
0: Thanks for listening to Extraterrestrial. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. You can find all previous episodes of Extraterrestrial, as well as all of Parcast's other shows, on Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star
1: review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next
0: time. Extraterrestrial was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler with sound design by Andy Waits. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Extraterrestrial was written by Aaron Land and stars Bill Thomas and Tim Johnson.